Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number four of That's What B Said. We are with Fansided. Um, I'm your host, Bree, at Breezy Clee, and I'm joined by Miss Brittany Mollis at Bird's Eye View. Hello, Brittany. Hello, Bree, and everyone else. And Meredith is with us as well at MCAN Sports. Hi, Mayor. Hello, everyone. We just have to say Merry Christmas, Happy Annika. Your Cleveland Browns are 10 and 4. <laughs> we have got a great rundown this evening, a special Christmas themed show tonight that Brittany put together, which I absolutely love getting in the Christmas spirit. Um, all Browns themed, of course. And if you guys recall, last year at this time, we did a 12 Days of Browns Miss. And it was not fun because everything was pretty much negative. So tonight's show and theme is a Browns Christmas Carol. So we are going to be taking a look at the ghosts of Cleveland Browns past, present, and future. You guys ready for this? I'm so excited. I am ready. I've been waiting all day to do this. I cannot wait. I'll have to see, and we might. I might do this uh, if I can find Bree, because you sang the Twelve Days of Browns last year. Oh so bad. If I can find it, I feel like we might need to repost that clip. Just a uh, see how far we've. Did we? Did we post a little a little clip of it last year? I don't think we did, but we could do that this year. Yes, um, please. You know Let's what? Yeah. If if you wanna if you wanna hear last year's Twelve Days of Browns mess, <laughs> tweet so at bad, us. Let us know. I can I can put something together. It we you know we put a Twitter poll out and everybody voted because we had people submit different That's themes right. for each yes. day and we had like some really really good yes. submissions. But um, someone reminded me. Uh, about a week ago that um his like five you know how it's like five golden rings it's yes like yes five come get me <laughs> you guys remember that <laughs> oh i totally forgot that like the come get me's was a thing that happened oh god i, I wish i could forget everything about that come okay get me. <laughs> well we're gonna get right into it because we're gonna kick off with the ghosts of cleveland's past so in last night's 20-6 victory over the New York Giants, um, it was great. Loved seeing that happen. But it did come with some visits from Cleveland's past, specifically Freddie Kitchens and Colt McCoy. So our fun-loving Freddie, he is now the tight ends coach for the Giants. He called the plays last night in the absence of offensive coordinator. Um, what, I don't know why I'm blanking on the former. Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett. Yeah. Um, and the quarterback – was Colt McCoy, as you know, former Browns quarterback, leading the offense. So this, again, just – this is exactly what 2020 is. This That just summed everything up there perfectly in a bow. Um, first things first, we wish them well, both of them. I mean, Colt McCoy never did anything wrong when it comes to the Browns. And Freddie Kitchens, it's, as much as we uh, really gave him a hard time when he was here with us um, – he did what he felt was best, and we found out today, too, that after the game, uh, Baker said that he still talks to Freddie every once in a while um, and that he lost weight and that he's proud of him. I said that in our group text last night. You, you guys were like, you, you guys did. were like, no, he just looked really good in blue. <laughs> well, I actually do agree with that. He was like, no, it's just the blue. <laughs> I don't think the orange did him any favors. Like, when you... Oh, when you have that a bright belly, orange doesn't do anyone favors. Right. I mean, no. like, that is just... Kevin Stavansky looks good in it, but I mean, he looks good. He looks good in everything. Yeah, yes. the the orange was not flattering on Mr. Freddie. Um, 
So that I want to talk about that a little bit because it was weird that the narrative leading up to the game was kind of this revenge game. Um, and it was weird because it was coming from both sides. So was it a revenge game for the Browns or a revenge game for Freddy's ki- Freddy Kitchens? So I wanted to ask both of you, what did you think? What were your overall thoughts? The whole Freddy facing off against his former team. Brittany, I'll start with you. Okay, so first things first. <laughs> My favorite part of last night when it came to Freddy Kitchens, and apparently it had nothing to do with him at all. But, like, my joke still landed, so ha-ha, Dales. Um, was the, I think it was one of the first drives, if not the first drive, that the Giants had. And it ended with them going for it on fourth down. Yep. And they did some sort of, like, a weird sneak where, like, or he was throwing to the offensive line. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I was like, Wow. Like, yes, Freddie, because my biggest complaint about him last year was that, you know, when he was calling the plays, sometimes he thought that he was smarter than he was. I remember us talking about, you know, you have OBJ on your team who's like this generational talent. And for whatever reason, like Freddie Kitchens just could not find a natural way to get him into the offense. So he would do all these like cutesy things to sort of try to get him involved and None of it really worked, and we're like, you know, Freddie, just, you seem like a simple guy, so just think simply. Like, you got a good guy, throw to him. And that's, last night, for me, I was watching that, and I'm like, yep, there he is. That's the Freddie. But I give him credit. Like, I I think he did a pretty good job. And as, as far as Colt McCoy goes, I saw a tweet today, um, and it said something along the lines of, that was the most Colt McCoy game I've ever seen because he did nothing really wrong. He had a good game, but then you look at the scoreboard and there's six points. <laughs> exactly. Like, yes. Exactly. So, you know, I much love to both of them. I I don't even have like harsh feelings towards Freddie anymore. Like you said, Bree, I think he did the best that he could last year, but you know, there was only so much we could do and we'll get into the reasons why we'll get into the real villain of this story. Oh, mm. Meredith, any thoughts on Mr. Freddie? Yeah. So that very first drive aside from failing on a, on a fourth down conversion, it felt very Freddie because of how many times last year, the Browns would march down the field, get into the red zone and then not be able to convert and having to, you know, either turn it over on downs or have to punt it. And that's exactly what happened to the Giants on their first drive last night. They marched down the field and then they couldn't convert. And that was, to me, just, it was the most Freddy thing ever. And I feel a little bad for him because he does have a reputation as being a decent play caller and he just couldn't handle the responsibility of being both a head coach and a play caller last year with the Browns. So I I felt a little bit bad. I hope he gets better. And then also, I think I said this to you guys too last night, that Colt McCoy kind of felt like he was doing a little bit of what Baker was doing in the first half against Tennessee, where it was just a lot of really short, easy throws that just progressed the ball down the field and just kept going and going and going. Because Colt McCoy made a lot of completions last night. So, and he's another guy that, you know, I feel bad for because I feel like he could have had a much better career than he did mm-hmm. but uh honestly i 
I don't know if it was really a revenge game for the players. I think that was just a... I, I hate people who blame the media, but it felt like a media narrative. Like, we were all looking for things to talk about, and it just felt like the Browns and the Giants have essentially traded everything. You know, we're yeah. all the Browns are all former Giants. The Giants are all former Browns. But I guess the difference is the Giants are first place in the NFC East, I think, or they're second place, which is very strange. But someone so, like they're probably going to go to the playoffs, not even playing the best that anyone in that division could do is 800 or 500, I believe. Yeah, I mean, it is such a bizarre conference. Can yes. they not forfeit their spot and they just should. give it to one of the AFC teams? I mean, they it's should such like a in shame. the name of sportsmanship, just say, you know what? We don't deserve this. <laughs> Somebody else take it. It's like the age-old battle of the NBA when the West was so good and there were so many teams that never got into the playoffs. Yes. And then you had the East where it was like, hey, just let everyone in because these teams <laughs> don't have great records, but they're in. I mean, this is what it feels like, just a stacked AFC division versus a much weaker NFC. I mean, you have good NFC teams, obviously, at the top, but when you get down to that bottom, man, it is ugly. Yes. Well, and that also makes the Browns' 10 wins that much more impressive. <sighs> yeah. Right? Because even Baker said last night after the game that he, was, he wasn't prepared for how hard it was going to be to win 10 games in the NFL. And, you know, now that the Browns have their 10 wins, they're looking to hopefully get two more. This is just – this has been a really fun season. And then also last night's game, I feel like it felt a little bit boring – but when you look back at it, it was the decisive win that you really wanted from the Cleveland Browns. It wasn't a, you know, run up the score 40 points in the first half and then give up 35 in the second half. It wasn't, you know, keep the score within three points of the entire thing and then win because you have the ball last. It was a decisive business-like win. Yeah, and especially when, because we played the Sunday night slot, you had all of the teams that had played earlier that if you're a Browns fan, you knew who you, you were rooting against or rooting for. And all of the teams that we needed to lose to make things, the path a little bit easier for us, they all won. And so, you know, if you're a Browns fan, you probably were sitting there thinking, oh boy, this is setting up for just epic disaster for the Browns to now go on Sunday night football after what's-his-face is on there doing the like live playoff scenarios and saying how if the Browns lose, their chances drop way down, they need to win. I mean, it just felt like it was just building up to this just typical Browns disaster on a national stage. Um, so, you know, I was a little bit nervous just because it's, in, it's ingrained in our DNA to feel and have these thoughts. Um, which, by the way, I hate the whole – I, I want to get rid of the whole, like, typical Browns. I'm so – I'm so done with that mantra. I hope it dies after this season. Um, but I was a little bit nervous going into it. And then I will say, as as the game started and went on, I felt completely fine. It's, it's just crazy how relaxed that the game was for me watching, which is just such a – I will take that any day of the week because we've yes. had some nail biters all season. Okay, so what I texted you guys about Freddie Kitchens, getting back to Freddie. Um, I know I was pretty hard on Freddie last year. Um, you know, we had our fun. We had segments on the show that were started out with Fire Freddie, and then it went to, like, we knew he was going to get fired, so we changed it to Ask Freddie. We because... were so mean. I mean, it was just 
Freddie, oh. what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> the hardest question that no one would ask. Um, <laughs> Why are you the way that you are? <laughs> but I will give Freddie some grace here in that I don't think it was entirely his fault. Like, I think he's a good man. I don't think he was a good football coach. And I think he was put in a position that he was expected to do too much. And then I also think his ego got in the way. And then also another ghost from the past, the complicated ghost probably, John Dorsey. So I think John Dorsey is more to blame than Freddie Kitchens last year. And this is such a conflicting thought to have um, because John Dorsey, like we've given him credit for a lot of the talent that he brought in. Um, And a good friend of our show, Pete Smith, he wrote an article on Sports Illustrated that was titled, Don't Hate, Don't Hire John Dorsey as Your Team's General Manager. Can we pause for a second yes, and just please. talk about how great that title is? <laughs> That's the name of the article, Don't Hire John Dorsey as Your Team's General Manager. I actually hope that that's getting like forwarded around to NFL offices. Like, please, like this is the memo that's going out. That's it. That's um, it. So just, just to go over a couple of things about John Dorsey. So... He had a historic amount of draft assets at his disposal when he came in that he used in the 2018 draft. Um, he was he was able to come away with Mayfield, Ward, and Chubb. Those are really the only three in that draft that hit, that we know mm-hmm. of at this moment in time. I mean, I know we have Mac Wilson. Verdict's out on him. Oh, Mac. We'll have to get into that one. Um, so, obviously, those three picks have been three of the best Browns players to date. Um, He's also responsible for bringing in Wyatt Teller, Kareem Hunt, Terrence Mitchell, and OBJ. But for as much as he giveth, he tooketh away. So just to list it. I wrote that. I love it. It's perfect. (laughs) So dramatic. Just to remind everyone, Antonio Callaway, Austin Corbett, Chad Thomas, Carl Nassib, um, and then he traded Emmanuel Ogba. it definitely felt like Dorsey played favorites. He got rid of productive players, alienated players. Um, he got involved in coaching decisions, game day roster decisions, um, and telling Freddie Kitchens who not to play. Um, we still don't know what happened with Higgins and Njoku last year. And it definitely felt like he just had a vendetta out there for um, Sashi Brown. I mean, that's pretty mm-hmm. much what it felt like. It, it's It goes back to the when leadership changes over and this is so true when it comes to a corporate landscape and setting as well when you have leadership change over they typically like to start fresh Mm -hmm. and i think that's what we've seen year after year with browns when you bring in new gms when you bring in new staffs they just wipe everything out Um, and i think that hurt the browns particularly Yeah. yeah so i think the moral of the story is john dorsey is a better gm once he's actually gone Well, the hard part with John Dorsey is that he's an extremely good talent evaluator. Like, you cannot deny the man's ability to to scout talent. Um, the problem was... Sorry, I just spilled my water everywhere. <laughs> my pants are soaked. I'm going to have to edit this out. No, don't edit it out. Oh, God. No, I'm editing this out. My, like, my, my pants are soaking wet right now because I accidentally breathed Just to wake you up. I accidentally kicked my water over. <laughs> That's Listen, why Brie told her poop story. You could leave this in. <laughs> Come on. All right, so I have soaking wet pants right now because Ooh, it was... Tell me more. <laughs> Talking about John Dorsey. Ew. 
Oh, oh God. Sorry, no. It wasn't even the Stefanski part of the segment. Oh, no. <laughs> I should have knocked my water over when I was talking about Kevin Stefanski in orange. That's right. <laughs> So what was I saying about John Dorsey? Oh, he can he can evaluate talent, but mm-hmm. he's too much of the eye test football guy. And yes. he just absolutely refuses to acknowledge analytics. Like, I feel like Freddie would have been willing to embrace analytics or at least try to learn. I don't know if Freddie had the ability to learn about analytics, but I have the feeling that Freddie would have been willing to try it. But John Dorsey is just so adamantly against it. He is football guy, football guy, football guy that he's not willing to look at anything else. And he thinks that he can just will things to happen with sheer talent, which is what happened to the Browns last year, is that that was probably one of the most talented 6-10 and teams that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You had everything you needed at your disposal to be a winning team, and you just didn't get the job done. And I think, obviously, when it comes to me, like, John Dorsey's always the boogeyman in my story. (laughs) Because, I mean, if nothing else, I'm consistent with this. Uh, I give Freddie a hard time. I have. But I think, you know, when they were doing the coaching search, and it seemed like John Dorsey had his guy picked. Like, Freddie Kitchens was it. This was the guy that, that he wanted to go with. He was calling the shots. I think the reason that he he fought so hard for him and you know declared him his guy is because he he found someone who he thought you know not this isn't you know anything against Freddie but someone that he could manipulate. Mm-hmm. That's exactly That's, it. He's, it's yeah. His, Freddie seemed like a, a simple guy who wasn't gonna say no. So John Dorsey found his guy who he could you know tell him what to do, what players to play. I do think in this article it says about, you know, playing favorites. In my opinion, I believe that's why Higgins and Najoku got left out of a lot of things. Because I specifically remember last year, people would ask Freddie after the game, you know, why wasn't Higgins in? Why didn't you use Najoku? He, you know, even after they recovered from their injuries, like he just was not playing them. There's no reason, I don't think, other than those were not his guys. He did not bring in his guys. Those were someone else's, and you know, it seemed like he had a problem with bringing in like a blended family. He didn't want that. He yeah. just wanted his guys to succeed, and that's it. And it it fed into this divisive culture. Mm-hmm. It fed into the power struggle, where I'm sure you know Deep Podesta's at the top, and he's like, "This isn't the way I envisioned things going." He's talking to Haslam. You know, Haslam's probably like, oh, I don't know what to do. So no one had control of anything. But it all started with John Dorsey. And, you know, again, he brought us some amazing pieces. Baker Mayfield, yep. Nick Chubb, yep. Denzel Ward. We could not be successful without these players. Wyatt Teller, like this, you just can't. Yeah. Um, But, you know, when, when Pete said at the end of the article, you know, he'll bring you the talent, but... You know, teams like the Browns or Kansas City, they're better once he's gone. Because, and you know, you had you had Sashi before him who got him all the picks. And you had John Dorsey who, granted, he wasted a lot of picks and, you know, whatever. But he did get you what you needed to win. Once he was out, you're seeing the difference that it makes. You're seeing the difference of putting people in charge who are smart, who believe in analytics, and who are all on the same page. So. Yep. 
Thank you, John Dorsey, for, for getting us these pieces. But pe I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I, I hate you. I, you, you know, I think for me, I go back to when he was hired and I think it was, I don't know if it was in his press conference or an inter interview where he made the statement of like, we're going to go get like real football players. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And oh, so, yeah. You know, and I think at the time that made me feel good because the Browns were just seen as being bullied. Like we just laid over. We weren't tough. Like nobody, nobody respected the Browns. And so for me... I heard that and was excited, but then when you look at John Dorsey's track record and also some of the players that he brought to Cleveland, he doesn't care about character issues or character problems. And even though he said so many times, "men of moral character," I just, yeah, that, I mean that, that phrase sticks out in my mind so much because he repeated it so many times. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, but no, that you're just, fine. And and uh, I'm like, listen, I. I do believe like Kareem Hunt has not had a slip up really since coming to the Browns. So I give him credit for working on himself, getting the help that he needed um, and, and being a pretty stand up guy right now. But mm -hmm. again, like from a locker room perspective, like what does that say to the other players that, that do have moral character and like, you know what I mean? It's just, that was a warning sign for me. And then I think the other thing about John Dorsey is just his reckless spending. I don't think he really ever thought about the future. It was all about just the now. Yeah. Um, so I do think that, you know, had John Dorsey still been on this team, I would worry about where the Browns would be from a future perspective, cap space wise. Um, yeah. Like you said, Brittany, he didn't really care about analytics or if he did care about them, you wouldn't know that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think to make everything tick you have to have different perspectives and you have to value other people's thoughts and opinions. And it can't just be what you want to do. I don't think any team can succeed if you just have one person driving the ship. Like that's, that's when things go wrong. So, mm -hmm. and I think we're seeing that now, obviously with the leadership in place, everybody being aligned, a balance of analytics and football guy mindsets and everybody working together. It, it is panning out. And I, We'll never forget. I tweeted, I think, back in August when the whole COVID thing was ramping up again and football season was about to start. And I and I said, like, I cannot imagine having the staff and the leadership in place last year trying to to run the show in a COVID season. Like, it would just be a disaster. Yes. Um. And and now, like, as the season has played out. How important has it been to have guys like Stefanski and Barry and the entire coaching staff to get these players to buy in, to follow the protocols, to really just do everything really to a T? And again, like that's paying off for the Browns, both on the field and off the field. Could you imagine mm -hmm. John Dorsey on Zoom? Oh, my gosh. No. <laughs> like, he'd probably chewing be that his gum. guy. Yeah, he'd be chewing his gum and he'd be like, am I on mute? How do you unmute this thing? What's a mute? Background noise everywhere. <laughs> yes. It'd be a disaster. Can you imagine Fred? I mean, Freddie Kitchens is on Zoom now, I guess, with the Giants. But I can't imagine him really being a Zoom guy. No. I think Freddie would probably be okay on Zoom. The biggest challenge with Zoom, and this is with any person in any industry, is even though it's still a face-to-face -face connection, it's still so hard to make that interpersonal connection. There's something about being with a person physically in the same room. And while Zoom bridges the gap of the virtual meetings, there's definitely 
a, a setback and not being able to physically be in the same room and, and create that bond in person. And Stefanski and Barry have just nailed it. You know, <laughs> say what you want about millennials. Both of them are millennials and yeah. they're just, they're crushing it. Well, I so, have to laugh because you said take that like, boomers. It's really hard to like build a relationship via virtual connection. Well, Freddie and John Dorsey, I don't think did that. And they were in person like, yeah, with these players day to day last year. So yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. So um, I want to move on to, we're going to get into the ghost of Cleveland's present, which we're 10 and four. That's the present. 10 and four. 10, 10 and, and four. 14. That is a reality. Ten, a one and a zero, guys. Double digit wins. What, what did they say I'm... was the last time the Browns had 10 wins? What did they say it was 1995? Was it, wasn't it 07? Oh, oh, maybe yeah, it was. We missed, we missed the playoffs. I think That's at right. 10 and 6. Yeah. What, was I think, yeah. what happened in 19? I feel like 95 was a significant year for something. Oh, was it the they haven't had back-to-back losses? I don't know. There was some. I feel like there was something about ninety five because someone said like, "Oh, where were you in nineteen ninety five? And I was I like, mean, oh, "They're breaking elementary records school. weekly." Yeah, yes. that's true. Pretty they're breaking. They're breaking records daily. I don't know what it's like to lose two games in a row anymore. I know, like twenty nineteen felt feels like such a fever dream at this point. <sighs> yeah, we don't need to go back in time. I mean, as bad as twenty twenty is, twenty twenty football season has been good for us. It's been really good for us. Um, And the Cleveland Browns are right in the thick of the playoff race. Um, As we said, 10 wins, double digits. They've had a successful season um, that was really designed for them to struggle with the offseason, with COVID, etc. They've got a great offense. It's ticking. um, And the organizational alignment, as we've talked about. And we are here to remind everyone to enjoy the present. It's a gift, you guys. Merry Christmas. Stop complaining. (laughs) Yes. Oh my god! So, Brittany, yes. I need you to elaborate on this because I, I believe you have a Dales from the crypt because to, to bring to this today has been a hellscape. <laughs> um, like I mean, you would think the Browns just won their tenth game of the season, which this is the Cleveland Browns who just won their tenth game of the season. We're not even at Christmas yet. Like this is supposed to be a joyous occasion, and for. Most Browns fans, I think that's true. And I don't know if it's just like the miserable ones who follow me, but I decided that I was going to celebrate today and, you know, I was going to be kind of obnoxious because I'm happy. Like, this is all this is all good stuff. So here I call them the Debbie Downerdales, (laughs) which have been harassing me since yesterday. Here's some of the quotes. They haven't won anything yet. Okay, except for the 10 games that they've won. Double-digit wins before Christmas. Like, this is a huge deal. They have won things. They haven't won it. They haven't. They're not in the playoffs yet. Okay. Uh, number two, don't be arrogant. Okay, Bree, you can, you can confirm this for me. Yes. Okay, so growing up, in the Mahoney Valley in yes. the Youngstown area is a much different experience than growing up in Cleveland. It's like night and day. Yes. Mostly because we are surrounded by Steelers fans. Nauseating. Like they're everywhere. There are more of them than there are of us. Yes. So our entire life growing up around here has been constantly polluted 
by Pittsburgh Steelers and all their successes and all these fans that are just, you know, waving their towels and wearing their weird Kmart Pittsburgh Letterman jackets. And (laughs) this has just been our life. So when we finally have a reason to be that arrogance, we're going to jump on it and be like, this is ours. This is our time to shine. We've dealt with this for so long. This is also another reason why, you know, we get into whether the fan, the, the Browns fans like or hate Cleveland more than Baltimore. For me, it's not even close. And I can understand people that grew up in Cleveland are like, well, you know, Art moved our team. And like, I get that as a Browns fan even. But like for me, growing up around these people, it's just an entirely different experience that you can't imagine unless you're doing it. So don't be arrogant. Oh, I'll be arrogant. <laughs> I, I will be arrogant. I promise you that. I'm not done yet. Um... The next thing I heard today, they should have scored more points. Oh, my God. Are you serious? Yup. Oh, my God. I was disappointed that they didn't score more points. I mean, they're mm. not going to put up 45 in every single game. No. Oh, my God. I mean, the Giants are a good defense. Yes. They are. Like, our running game suffered last night. Yeah. Like, they just could not get it going. Yeah, what I think they have, like, the number seven rush defense. In yeah, the league tough. or something. Yeah, they've got a really, really, like, despite the record, they've got a really good defense. And a number yeah. two red zone defense, right? They were number two. Yeah. We scored yeah. three times <laughs> in the red zone. <laughs> <laughs> so, I yeah. okay, so I have a theory about Browns fans, and you guys can confirm or deny, but this fan base has been so miserable for so long that – I feel like some Browns fans, and these are definitely the angriest Dales in all of our mentions, they've made being miserable their whole personality. And now they don't have reasons to be miserable because we've got Kevin Stefanski, who is definitely in contention for coach of the year. You've got Andrew Barry. You've got all of this talent on the field. You've got this offensive line clicking, the defense they're struggling, but they're putting in the work. Like, you've just got this team that's got a clear path to the playoffs in December. Every game for here until the end of the season is meaningful. And all of a sudden, these miserable Browns fans don't have reasons to be miserable. So I feel like they're trying to manufacture misery because they've made that their whole personality. And they just can't handle that they can't use that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and going back to just going back to the whole Pittsburgh fan thing, Brittany's 100% right. Living in this area, it's it's awful. They're everywhere. And what I will say, you know, the Browns' relevance hasn't been good the last few years. I think last year, preseason-wise, before the season actually played out, you saw a lot more Browns fans coming out in the area. And I will say, like, this year has been so much better, obviously, because we have a winning season and I went to the grocery store today, and I will say, I saw so many people wearing brown stuff. It was amazing. And it's something I've never experienced in this area where just judging by the grocery store line. And this was not a Walmart, so maybe that's why. But there were way more Browns fans than Steelers fans. <laughs> so I will just say, you have to take in the location as part of that. But maybe if I would have went to Walmart, we would have been outnumbered. But I made it a point to say to every single person I saw wearing Browns gear, Go Browns. Like, I was obnoxious about it. (laughs) I love it. Be obnoxious. Everyone should be obnoxious. I wrote down here, my favorite thing about this particular Dale is that 
And Meredith, this sort of ties into what you're saying because I think a lot of the people that you're describing also did not want Stefanski or Barry to to lead the yes. ship. I think that's pretty clear. So at the beginning of the year, we, the three of us specifically, were celebrating Stefanski's hire, and they told us, "Wait until he wins some games." Okay, well now he has. They're ten and four. He's doing a great job. He's up for coach of the year. You know, he's he's making the most out of Baker Mayfield in the run game. He's doing everything he can. The Browns are good. Everything's looking good. And now they're on to, well, yeah, but they're not in the playoffs yet. They haven't won the Super Bowl yet. Let's do this for like three or four seasons. I'm not going to wait three or four seasons to be happy. Why would any, like, why would any sane person sit there? Like, could you imagine if the Browns had double digit win seasons from here for like, let's say the next five years. And you've got these people telling you that you're not allowed to be happy that your team is in the double digit win column for at least right. three years. What kind of like. What kind of sociopath suggests that? Just like, sit there quietly for three years. Don't until... cheer. For, don't cheer. For, and these are probably the same <laughs> people who are attacking the Cleveland.com crew for predicting a Browns loss. And then photoshopping the L's over all of their yeah. faces. And it's the, the thing that gets me is that it's okay to be mad and bitch and complain all the time. It's okay to show negative emotions, but it's not okay for happy people to be happy and celebrate. The, you ridiculous. know, the immediate response. It's okay to 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 be a dick, <laughs> but don't you dare be happy. Don't you celebrate? Not for three or four more seasons. <laughs> I got something to tell you, Dale. Galaxy brain. That's the term that I was looking for. What kind of galaxy brain take is that? You're not allowed God. to be happy. Because here's the thing. Four years. What the Browns are doing this year is what we expected last year. Yes. We expected this kind of performance and this kind of season under Freddie Kitchens and John Dorsey. And obviously that wasn't the right combination. And now this year... The Browns are giving their fans exactly what they wanted last year. And somehow people still aren't happy. I could guarantee, I bet if the Browns win out the rest of the season and that makes them what, 12 and four. So -hmm. if the Browns go 12 and four, make the playoffs, make the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl, these same people are probably going to A, keep on saying don't celebrate. And they're probably going to be like, well, they still lost four games. Yeah, or I don't even know at that point what they'll, they'll think of something to bitch and complain about because that's all they're good at. That's it. That's all they know how to do. They still lost four games. Yeah. I'm actually really glad you brought that up, Brittany, because it goes back to like the entire preseason before the NFL kicked off. I was tweeting about how I was so excited for this coaching staff, for Andrew Barry, for Stefanski. And every single time it was like, it's all talk. We're used to this. They win press conferences. The Browns are really good at winning press conferences. I need to see them win games. And then he started to win games. Remember when they went 4-1 and one and then they lost to the Steelers? And then mm-hmm. it was like, we didn't, we, can, we didn't beat the Steelers. So it's like the goalposts just continue to move for these people. That's what I oh, discovered. Yeah. And, and it doesn't matter what it's about. It could be about the coaching staff. It could be about now our measuring stick has to be against the Ravens and the Steelers. Or the measuring stick is Baker Mayfield because he has one bad game that we have to panic and immediately move on from Baker Mayfield. Or it's that the defense looks horrendous and now we have to just fold and we can't be happy. Um, But the reality is we have a winning record at 10 wins. And I'm sitting here watching the Steelers going at halftime down 17-0. 
I have been I've been trying so because I've got the, the game on right now and I've been watching the game as we're doing this and I've been trying very hard. Oh, not to, I, I not mean, to I'm <laughs> watching. I'm I hope Big Ben just evaporates because he might as well. He's not a, he's not. A, I have been waiting my entire moment for the Browns to be relevant and Big Ben to just disappear. And well, it's also the happening. Oh my God. <laughs> well, also what's what's annoying is that even if the Steelers lose their their contest right now against the Bengals, we still want them to win against the Colts on Sunday, and that's annoying because if the Browns win against the Jets, which they should, but hopefully you know they don't uh, go into the week expecting a win because <laughs> look what happened to the Chargers. But the Browns are our favorites for this weekend, and the Colts are one of the teams that the Browns need to lose in order to make the playoffs. Colts Steelers are aren't Steelers. beating the Colts. I'll tell you that. Remember last a couple weeks ago when, when I said Steelers are going to lose three of their last four games? That well, might just be four. Okay, so yeah, and the, they're right. going to have to face the Browns. Yes, they'll lose to the Browns. Oh, the drama. I'm sorry yes. for getting us off topic, but this actually leads me into, I, I think we can get into it because the ghost of Cleveland's present is a very good ghost, and that's the offense. Um, and against the Giants, you know, it, it may have been a boring game, as people were saying. I say boring in quotations because um, we scored 20 points. The Giants were never in the game, ever. They didn't have a chance to win. That's why it was boring. Baker in particular, though, looked great once again. This is three games in a row of Baker and Mayfield looking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, the Browns only had – like, this was so weird. They only had seven possessions in the game. I mean, the entire game was bizarre in that sense. It was. So weird. And it went so fast. It absolutely did. I felt like did. you blinked and it was halftime. And you're like, "Where? what the hell happened? Yeah, it was like 45 minutes and halftime was yeah. halftime. I was like, well, I will take I'm tired. It was wild. I just, I was thankful for a shorter game last night. I still got home from work at ass o'clock in the morning, but at ass least o'clock. the game ended at a like quasi-decent hour. <laughs> so Baker Mayfield was 27 of 32, 297 yards, um, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. Um he was, again, the best player on the offense, and they won because of him. As Brittany mentioned earlier in the show, the run game got shut down, um, and we didn't have that to rely on like we've we've had in, in past games. So Baker Mayfield, he had to put the work in, and he had to go score points. And, in fact, he had two 95-yard drives that resulted in touchdowns. Like That's pretty incredible. That's hard to do in the yeah. NFL, really hard yeah. to do. Yes. Baker, I can't say enough good things about Baker Mayfield. I want to run around this room right now and just scream. I want to be arrogant and as obnoxious as I possibly can about Baker Mayfield because some of those throws last night, you know, you watch like, you know, think about your history of watching NFL games and you see these great quarterbacks. And for so long, I was, you know, I would watch like Tom Brady or Peyton Manning and I'm like, they just made it look so easy. The throws that they would make. I was like, why can't we ever have a quarterback that makes it look so easy? Those, those like darts that they just throw. I'm like, God, I want to see that. And there were throws last night that he made that were just art. Like, there's no other way to put it. Like Bob Ross, Kevin yeah, like he is just <laughs> when he wants to be, when he has that confidence, which he's had now for like the past. I don't know, three or four games specifically. He just has it in him where he's like, I'm going to take this field and I'm going to be the guy. And he goes out and he does it. Yeah. And there are just times when you're watching him do it and you're just like, this is what I've always wanted. This is this is the quarterback I've always dreamed about. 
you can yeah, just and- see Baker's confidence and his moxie on the yes. field. And I, he looks right now unstoppable. He does not yes. look confused. He doesn't look like the same guy that even started this year. Like the first yeah. few games, he looked confused. He he looked unsure of himself. He looked pretty unsettled. And right now, I mean, hell, if this guy can take us into the playoffs, like there is there is a really good chance he can pull off a win just by his arm alone, just by yes. the passing game. That's not even accounting for the run game and what the run game can do. But I have full yes. confidence in Baker Mayfield to get us to a victory. This offense is multidimensional. I mean, guys, there are multiple guys open on plays. Like, that hasn't <laughs> happened. Like, Baker has his choice of who to throw it to. Yes. Like, I mean, oh, my gosh. It just – I, and he sees them so much better. Yeah, yes. that's exactly His vision the point. is so much better. Yeah, that was the point that I that I wanted to make about Baker is that towards the beginning of the year we were worried because he felt like a one read quarterback, mm-hmm. and I forget which touchdown it was. I think he had passed it to Najoku, but there was another guy that it was he was open and would have been the easy pass, but it wouldn't have been a touchdown pass. And it was either Najoku or Jarvis was in the end zone. It was definitely a more difficult pass for Baker and he did it and he made it. So not only is he no longer this one read quarterback that made us nervous, his accuracy is back. His, you know, his eyes are back. Just everything, everything that he showed that he could do when he was in Oklahoma and everything he showed in his rookie season has come back. And it's just, yeah, it. I am so excited to see how much Baker has progressed in such a short year because towards the beginning of the year we were wondering did he is he going to earn his fifth year extension or his fifth year option and at this point absolutely 100 percent, he's got his fifth year option yeah and the other thing i would like to just mention about baker is you do see him improving the touchdown pass to austin hooper in the end zone were passes earlier that he was sailing over the heads of Mm -hmm. the tight ends Mm -hmm. or the receivers and now you're seeing him make those kinds of throws which again that goes back to the work that he's willing to put in, making corrections, and again, Stefanski and the coaching staff for really getting him right and going over those things. Like, you're not seeing the same mistakes from Baker. You're really not. No. No, and I think, you know, when we talk about a lot of, like, the positives of Baker Mayfield, they started in his rookie seasons, and we always want to go back to that. Like, well, in his rookie season, he did this, and this is when he looked the best and all that. One of the things that he did in his rookie season was throw a lot of interceptions. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of picks that year, and we're not seeing that this year. Thank God. Because, like, you know, we're just – he's improving every single part of his game. And I'm I'm floating. I'm <laughs> yes, floating. right? <laughs> just stay up there. Okay, so I do want to ask you guys, and I didn't put this in the rundown, so I apologize. It's a little um, off the cusp. But – I did happen to see a post. I don't even know who this guy is. I've never heard of him before, but he popped up in my timeline because people were commenting on it. And he essentially was diminishing the fact that Baker Mayfield is a good quarterback because of the usage of play action. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Steven Ruiz from yes. For the Win. Yeah. I don't even know who that, I don't know who that guy is, but like it's he's, annoying. Yeah. You, he's, he's like and he has a check mark. So like I guess he's legit. I don't know. Is he? Do you? Are you legit if you have a check mark? Because I just feel like the no. shit he was spewing. I was like, you need to lose that check mark, buddy. Like, how do you have that? So he works. He works for For the Win, which is uh, an offshoot of USA Today. So he does work for a legitimate media outlet, but just because you work for a legitimate media outlet doesn't mean your takes are good. Okay, so he posted something yes. about Baker and him. If you take away his 
play action, then his completion rate goes down to like mid 40% and his stats are like at the bottom amongst all quarterbacks. But then he like just kept piling on. He kept like quote tweeting himself and responding just to like continue proving that Baker Mayfield is a bad quarterback. And I just was sitting there like, I don't give a shit if Baker Mayfield runs to the locker room and then completes a play. Like, whatever works, I will take it. Like, I just don't understand that mindset of, like, if you erase this, then he's not good. I'm like, what? What? Huh? No, that'd be like, well, if you take away Lamar Jackson's legs, he's not that good of a quarterback. Like, okay, but his legs are his greatest asset. So, and he won MVP with with his legs. So you can't just take away something somebody's good at to try to make your point. That feels like if like well let's use you for example Brittany like well Brittany's a blonde except if you take away her hair then she's no longer blonde. <laughs> right. I know, like, like that's what it feels like. that logic to just everyday life. <laughs> like but yeah, he's funny unless you take away his sense of humor then he's really not that funny. Like okay, imagine going to those lengths to make a stupid point that nobody agrees with. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so I saw a bunch of people um, hopping in to defend Baker Mayfield, which is frustrating. Um, but a couple of guys were coming to Baker's defense. But it's just just annoying that he has to continue. And he, I'm sure he doesn't really care. But like, there's just this narrative that continues about Baker Mayfield. And I have no idea why. No idea I why. Know. I mean, he's playing lights out. Cow zombie Baker. <laughs> Cow, Cow zombie, zombie Baker. Baker. <laughs> I almost feel like this this uh, Stephen Ruiz. I feel like he's trying to go the uh, Colin Coward route because Coward has backtracked on his Baker Mayfield takes. Like I think even yesterday he said that he thinks that Baker Mayfield is currently one of the best quarterbacks in the league or something to that effect. Like he made a few very complimentary tweets about Baker Mayfield and it's very obvious that he's changed his stance and so now I feel like this guy with USA Today is saying well looks like there's an open you know open window for me to make fun of Baker Mayfield because that's what's going to get Cleveland fans riled up and that's what's going to you know up my Twitter engagements and get me my retweets like that's just Mm -hmm. that's what it feels like every single time when someone tries to pick on Cleveland like it feels like they they're lonely and so they need Twitter notifications to warm their hearts and light their fires. So they just tweet something completely erroneous about Cleveland. Baker Mayfield is a warm blanket. So all of the people that are irrelevant on Twitter, I guess. Yes. Um, okay, so we're going to move into the bad ghost of Cleveland's present. And that is the defense. Um, now, granted, the defense only gave up six points, but um, they did have their moments last night um, watching them. And Miles Garrett is clearly still struggling with COVID. Um, he mentioned in the press conference that he has had coughing fits. They showed him multiple times zoomed in close-ups of him really struggling to breathe, catching his breath, um, which, again, is a good reminder to everyone out there that Miles Garrett, I don't think, has any body fat. He's one of the most no. in-shape people that I've ever seen in my entire life. And he is still hurting from this horrible, horrible virus. So wear your mask. Take it seriously. Yes. That tells you everything I'm, you need to know. I'm going to – I am willing to donate my lungs to Miles Garrett. I don't know if they're that great. <laughs> they mean, might be okay. But, like, I've never smoked or anything. We've, so. we've been willing to give up many body parts this year. <laughs> yeah. Brie wants to give up her antibody blood. My blood. Brittany, I think, was going to give her liver. 
Yes. I'm... And now we've got lungs. Yeah. So we are <laughs> we are making sacrifices for this team. <laughs> Take all of it. Okay, guys. So I have a confession to make because I myself was a Dale last night. I daled. I had a Dale moment. I'm not proud of it. I have to I admit it. I didn't see you Dale. That's you said that this morning. And I was so confused because I can't imagine you Daling. So let's hear about this. Okay. So you guys know I I live tweet during the games and I get mm-hmm. caught up in the moment. I get emotional. I just say what's on my mind and maybe I should pull back a little bit from doing that. But I was particularly frustrated. I think in the third quarter where um, the Giants had kind of driven down the field they made some easy completion passes against the secondary per usual outside of Denzel Ward side Um, but it felt like they were just going to do whatever they wanted to the defense again and so I had tweeted something because they kept showing Miles Garrett being winded and I said what's the rest of the defense's excuse you know what Miles excuse is and so oh I retweeted that yeah okay so of course like I tweeted this in the moment as I was watching this unfold and and the defense stepped up and held them obviously they didn't score they that was the point where they scored just a field goal but people were responding to this tweet like hours later after the game was over and it was just like a barrage of like they only scored six points they only scored six points like the defense looked way better this week and then I just started arguing and being like okay well they looked better this week against the Giants and Colt McCoy Versus the Ravens. Like, not a fair comparison in my mind. Like, you should look good against the Giants. Very different teams. But then I was just mad at myself because I was like, I've become a Dale right now in this moment because I'm complaining (laughs) about a 10-win football team. (laughs) And so I just had that moment of realization. Like, Brie, like, what are you doing? Stop what you're doing. Stop arguing with people. The Browns are 10-4. Just be happy. Just be happy. So that was my... Dale confession. And I apologize, everyone. I will admit when I'm wrong. I will I wish all Dales were like you, honestly. <laughs> like if that's if that's you being a Dale, oh man. I wish. I Could just you imagine I how much more give... pleasant Twitter would be if Dales were kind of like, hey, you know what? Yeah, exactly. I am being an asshole right now. I'm gonna stop. Well, I'm sure they're hate listening to this. So <laughs> hey, hi. Um, we, we would be fine if you guys did that. We, we don't always just attack you. Like I, I can admit when I'm wrong. So this is your open invitation to, I don't know. It's Christmas. It's the new year. Let's. let's it's a 10 win football team. Yes. There's so many things Woo. to be happy about right now. Okay. So no, let's talk about impossible. the playoff <laughs> picture because this is the mm-hmm. exciting ghost of Cleveland's present. So in order for the Browns to clinch a playoff spot next week, here's what needs to happen, you guys. Number one, we beat the Jets. We need the Colts to lose to Pittsburgh, the Dolphins to lose or tie to Las Vegas, or the Ravens to lose or tie to the Giants. Out of these three scenarios, what do you think is most likely to happen? Brittany? I'd say Dolphins lose. I hope so to Las Vegas. I think they kind of hit their peak a couple weeks ago. And, oh, you know, know, the Dolphins are actually pretty good. So that's what I think is the most likely of the three. Meredith, do you agree, disagree? Some, do you think something else can happen? If you asked me 90 minutes ago, I would have said the most likely scenario is the Colts losing to the Steelers. But as of right now, as the first half of Monday Night Football is kicking off and the Steelers are losing to the Bengals 17 to nothing, uh, I'm going to agree with Brittany. I think the most likely scenario, because I just I think the Ravens are starting to find their stride 
Um, you know, I think they're starting to peak at the right time for themselves because they had a rough first half of the season. Uh, so I don't think the Ravens are going to lose. Um, watching this, watching this Steelers game, I just I don't have confidence that they can beat the Colts on Sunday. So yeah, I'm no. I'm going to say Dolphins. Yeah, at the Steelers, they look rough. I mean, there's a lot of football left in this game, but I think what's going to hurt them is they don't have a run game, and Big Ben, he can't make throws past five yards, and right now they're not completing no. those either. So their Hate defense, them. like Steelers' defense is fine, but they can't sustain and win football games. Like you can't expect your defense to win week in and week out, even though that's what happened the first few weeks of the season. That was clear. Um, yeah. And I really don't want to root for the Steelers. I really don't want them to win. I know that that would benefit the Browns, but I'm struggling. All I will say is I'm just very happy that the Jets won last week. Like, I'm happy that they're not an O, an O for team going up against the Browns. Because I don't think you can count any NFL team out. I've said this before. They're adult men. They're, they're, they're getting paid to play this game. Like, yeah, I know that people want to assume that these teams are tanking, but, like, do you think these players care? who they pick in the draft like do you really think that they're like guys let's go lose this football game and get trevor lawrence no like that's what fans are saying yeah can you imagine it is so hard to tank because there are just so many people that you have to get on board to to that mindset and athletes are built differently um Mm -hmm. and athletes who are talented enough to make it into the nfl are even a different breed from that they are strong they are competitive and they just none of them want to lose ever i don't care what the situation is like even even if you paid them to lose i don't think they would want to they're just not built that way yeah so the only way that you can really successfully tank is you have to have the front office on that on that page you have to have the entire coaching staff on that page and then what the coaching staff has to do is they have to set up plays that they know aren't going to work because there's no way that you can go into a locker room and say okay guys we're gonna lose this no that just that is not something that you can do at any level honestly like even if you say like you know like say like little dude and layla i know they're both playing sports like soccer and basketball there's no way that you can go up to a five uh three and a five-year-old or you know, a, a five and a six year old and say, okay, guys, we're going to lose now. You just don't do that. <laughs> no, I would, I would, I mean, I think that when you go back to the Browns 0 and 16 season, like they weren't, I don't think they were legitimately trying to lose. And I think no, Hugh Jackson thought he like, was a really good coach. They just, there was just so much turmoil <laughs> on that team. Okay. So what feels like a bigger fever dream at this point? 0 and 16 or Freddie Kitchens? Would, which is which is the higher oh one hundred thousand million percent oh and sixteen I can't ble- I still can't believe that ever happened it's only happened twice no. in NFL history only and like twice. they weren't that bad like that's the thing there was the Cleveland factor in there because yeah the Jets are far worse than the Cle- than the Cleveland Browns were that season they are far worse but you know even they managed to win a game. The fact that they did that and they weren't really that bad is just amazing because they almost won like at least four or five of those. There were so Whereas, many. Whereas you know the Jets wins. have been out for, yeah, it's inc- it's I it's still stunning to me that zero and sixteen actually happened. You know after the one and fifteen, 
It's just, I, I yeah. can't believe that was our history. I've, I tweeted today, I've already forgot how it feels to lose. Losing seasons, <laughs> I don't remember them. So Don't far, forget, guys, one one in thirty one, January thirty first is Hugh Jackson Day. God, how God. horrible, man! It just you know who reminds bleh, me of that every bleh. year. Also, Dan- Danny is the one who reminds me every year that it's Hugh Jackson Day. Like he never <laughs> fails to forget. You'll be happy to know. You'll be happy to know that his palms were not sweaty at all yesterday. <laughs> he texted me when. Okay, every time we were watching Notre Dame. Oh my God, we were watching Notre Dame on Saturday. His palms were dripping and oh i'm my like gosh. this is disgusting <laughs> oh my God. what is wrong with you I get sweaty you have too. a sickness <gasps> no it's like he touched me and like i had like a wet handprint on my <laughs> arm i was like danny he's like okay i'll go wash but i was like how do you sweat from your hands like that what kind of a beast are you i mean it happens to me <gasps> my hands and my feet i think it's an athlete thing like you guys are both athletes maybe that's the thing it's the gene because mine are just like you know bone dry all the time i don't ever have to worry about sweating palms that's not a thing but and i'm shocked that people live like that or their hands are just dripping wet you know okay i've like said so many embarrassing things on this podcast so i'll just keep going it's i'm married i have children (laughs) um my hands and my feet like, so when I'm working out specifically, my hands and my feet sweat more than anything else in my body, which is like the weirdest thing ever. But I used to do yoga, hot yoga specifically, and I could not like stay on my mat because oh, I would God. just like slide around. Oh, no. That's when you horrible. have to get the, um, that's when you have to get I used the to bring special a towel. I was socks. like, let me roll out my towel, everyone. Hey, here's the sweaty hands, girl. Can't hold my downward dog. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Danny, I feel your pain. Want to hear a funny pain. story about my sweat? Yes. yes. Listen, are you ready for this? I'm ready. So when I was in college, like my body part that sweats worse than everything else is like my butt, my <laughs> butt and my lower back. So when I was in college, I drove a 98 Ford something. It was like this big tank and it had leather seats and the air conditioning stopped working. So... I was driving to school one day and it was like 95 degrees outside. I get, I'm sliding around in my seat. I'm like, oh my God, I have to be in class for eight hours. I get out, my ass is just soaking wet. I look like <laughs> it's gone out of my pool. Like, oh, this is my life. So I'd rather have sweaty palms than a sweaty ass. I sometimes have a sweaty butt too. And, and like, okay, it's Brittany. <laughs> have you ever worn like on accident? I have like a gray maxi dress and similar situation. It was like a hot summer day and I'm like, I'm going to wear this maxi dress and Mm -hmm. be cool. And then I get into my car and I immediately like step out of my car and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I have like an ass sweat mark on my (laughs) dress walking into work. So cool. Oh, Oh, this episode (laughs) took a turn, you guys. I get I get the 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 back sweat like and the front yes, side sweat bad. like so if I wear like at least a, we don't get the boob sweat though I, I mean don't I get boobs I kind of get that a little bit but like if I'm wearing like a gray tank top at the gym you can see like the lines of sweat down my back like it's gross <laughs> sweaty, it's gross sweaty talk I have no idea how we got there okay we have a few more segments um to get through we are going to wrap up the ghosts of Cleveland's past, present, and future with the future. So, guys, franchise quarterback, a legit Check. head coach. Check. Great front office. Check. Miles Garrett. Check. Check. Add Denzel Ward to that. 
I think so. Yeah. I mean, we've well, got else, all yeah. the tools to be a successful franchise for a long time, which is the ultimate goal of all of this. Well, and also, okay, so talking about Brown's future, we have got to bring up Nick Harris. Like, so Wyatt Teller's out with an ankle injury, and the first snap of the game, Chris Hubbard goes down, and everyone's hearts sink into their stomach. So then they bring out Nick Harris, who is drafted to be J.C. Treader's backup at center. And I think after the game, Jarvis Landry said that he has never seen Nick Harris take a snap as a guard in practice or training camp or anything. And he just stepped up. He killed it at guard last night. He was where he needed to be. He was making paths for his running backs. He was blocking. Like, that's the future right there when you have such a versatile offensive weapon. Like Nick Harris, he is a rookie. So you want to add that to Cleveland's future because we have all we have talked so many times about how great this offensive line is for the Browns. And so when you have, you know, your best guard and Wyatt Teller out and then Chris Hubbard, who does a pretty decent job backing up for him, go down as well. So then you're on your third string guard who isn't even a guard playing like that. Like that is exciting to see. Yeah, again, it goes back to coaching and having these guys ready. I mean, just mm-hmm. any other year, we have guys go down for injury, and you can ca- you can kiss the entire game goodbye because we just didn't have guys that were able to step up and make plays. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, so we're going to wrap up our show with a little segment in the spirit of Christmas. Uh, we did something a little fun on Twitter today. We were asking Browns fans – what would be at the top of their Christmas list this year? Um, last year, it was a competent head coach, might I remind you. Um, so here is what our <laughs> listeners had to say. These were the most popular answers, by the way. Um, number one, a complete beatdown of the Steelers. Pretty good. I'll take that. Oh, yeah. A division title, yeah. probably a bit far-fetched for now um but yeah that would be that would be great if somehow that could happen but i don't think that can actually happen um new lungs for miles garrett it looks like that that could happen if meredith gives up hers he is more than welcome (laughs) to my lungs (laughs) a playoff win i would also gladly take Mm -hmm. that um a safety and a linebacker that (laughs) should be at the top of the list five one (laughs) (laughs) and a pittsburgh free fall which hey christmas may come early we'll see i mean there's there was a big momentum swing here that the steelers just scored so we'll see but i I hope christmas can come early all i want is for miles garrett to get a holding call like that's that's like he hasn't had one i don't think all year has he can you imagine just it's just unbelievable for me it is i know you could you could have like three guys on miles you know hand on his leg hand on his collar hand on his helmet face mask, horse collar, and holding all at the same time, and it wouldn't get called. Yeah, and no. with COVID lungs. So it's like he has to right. fight against a million things. <laughs> COVID lungs. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything we didn't cover that you guys would want to add to this? You think, you think they covered it? I, for my Christmas wish, even though I don't celebrate Christmas, <laughs> I'm going to make one anyway. Um, I wish that the Browns fans that are constantly miserable, take a deep breath and let go of their misery because this is a 10-win football team right now. There you go. Just take a deep breath in and just 
exhale all the misery because you don't need it anymore. You are allowed to be happy. You are allowed to be excited. This has been a great season for the Browns. Just you, you have just got to be happy. Yes. I like it. I like it. Well, mm-hmm. Santa, if you're listening, that's what we want. Oh, he listens. That is what we want. <laughs> he sees you when you're sleeping, Brie. <laughs> so creepy. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, guys. That was another fun show. Um, way, way more fun to do these podcasts when the Browns are winning. Um, what a treat. What a treat. Yes. Thank you guys all for listening. We hope that you have a very Merry Christmas this week. Um, don't forget to rate us and review us on your listening platform. You can find us via Spotify, Apple iTunes, or Stitcher. Um, we will talk to you guys all next week. Hopefully the Browns will be 11-4 and four in clinching a playoff. Like so let's keep our fingers crossed. Santa, that's what we want. Merry Christmas. <laughs>